Greetings and felicitations. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome. Thank you for joining me for another hour of my nonsense, I guess. Well, that's not all nonsense. I do talk about some relevant things, and I hope I enlighten some people, open some minds as to what's going on. And there's always a lot going on. Uh, we're going to delve into the events of the week and maybe put on our conjuring cap and see if we can conjure up what's going to happen in the week to come. You never know. It's hard to say here on the Chairline Chronicles, but uh, I will keep you updated. I also got some new updates on what's going on in my clinic. Very interesting stuff. We will delve into that as well. Uh, also some sad news, uh, we'll kick that off when we come back, our first segment, and then we'll get started, and, uh, welcome to my six new listeners, I just saw my analytics on, uh, Anchor Podcast, Anchor Radio, it says I have six new listeners, so I appreciate your ears, and I hope I can entertain and enlighten you as well. If not, well, you know, you can change the dial. There's other, there's more killer death podcasts out there. Um, but actually here you're talking to a dead man. Yep, that's true. I'm dying of my illness. And we will talk about that too, you know. Uh, I don't like talking about it, but I do because it's the truth. Also about things going on in my life. Not that you really care, but uh, well, you know what? Let's. I tell you what. Let's just jump into it, and we'll go from there. All right. Well, until then, I leave you in the capable hands of one Billy Preston and my favorite song, "Out of Space." listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Well, if you know that song, and who doesn't, that is Running With The Devil with uh, by Van Halen from back in 1980. And the reason I use that song to start this segment, because it's this segment's in honor of a very 
a very close friend of mine. His name was Richard Jake Jakubazet. He was a machinist mate second class in the United States Navy, submarine qualified. He was one of my best friends on my first ship, USS Greenland. Uh, I met Rich when I reported on board for Greenland. He was also one of the sailors that was stranded in New London, Connecticut after the ship left. I don't remember exactly the reason why he's, he was still there. I think he had just come back from leave as well. Now, Rich, or Jake as we all know him, uh, had already been in the Navy two years to my two months. So as far as I was concerned, he was an old salt. I looked up to Rich and Rich was kind enough to take me under his wing. And for those uh, two weeks that I was there in New London waiting for Sa or Greenland to come back home, she was out at sea at the time when I got there. Uh, we would run around, you know, we would go eat lunch, hang out at the barracks, talk, listen to music, maybe, you know, endeavor chemically of what was available at the time. Uh, Rich was a good friend. When, uh, I got my orders to go and meet Greenling in uh, in the Virgin Islands. He stayed behind. They they wanted the new guys, so I departed New London and left Rich behind. I told him I'd come back. You know, I'd see him again when the ship came back. And sure enough, we did. And Rich and I struck up our friendship again. Uh, he introduced me around Greenling, showed me all the people I needed to know, all the cool people. And then one morning, uh, Rich came over to my barracks room and knocked on the door and said, hey, you want to go have breakfast? It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. We were both up. Who knows why? Oh, yeah. We had just come back. We just gotten off duty. So we hopped in his car. That's another reason I was impressed with him. He had his own car. And so uh, we would go and have breakfast. We would get high. And... Just have fun. I was, I was still, no, I just already turned 18. And he was all of 22, 23. So once again, he was older. So I looked up to him. Rich and I ran around everywhere together. We were virtually inseparable. And then I would develop my own friendships with other men, men guys on board and uh, go from there. You know. It's a, it's a ship. What are you going to do? So, uh, yesterday, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and looking at this and looking at that. And then I came across one by a shipmate by, by the name of Robert Falk. And it started with, uh, it's sad to report, you know, he didn't want to, but he felt he had to. The death of one Richard Jake Jakubczak passed away yesterday, April the 15th, 2023. He was only a few years older than I was. and He didn't seem to be ill, but then again, 
we don't make usually a lot of us don't make that public knowledge and you know so we keep it to ourselves and eventually we die <clears throat> i'm still going through a whole lot of my own issues that to hear that news wasn't pleasant then again death never is is it it is what it is and so I had to say goodbye to my friend Richard J- Jake Jakubasak. He was from Chicago, Illinois, the home of the Blues Brothers. And Rich had that kind of Chicago cool, I guess you could say, that, that Blues Brothers kind of cool. He was just a smooth cat. There was another guy from Chicago. Puerto Rican guy, Benny Manzano, who has also had that same kind of cool. I mean, I mean that's maybe that's one of the reasons I looked up to Rich. He was he'd been around, you know, all of three years older than I was. But his death hit me. You don't want to hear when any of your friends die because it's a part of you dies. And then life chips away at you again, takes off a big chunk. So uh, he was a machinist mate, second class. He was a, he was in uh, in the submarine parlance, what we call an A-ganger. I was in the sonar div. See, we all have our little, if you worked back aft, you were a nuke. So if you were in the Navy, you, you get what I'm, what I'm telling you. So he was a second-class machinist mate, A-ganger. What these guys did, they're, they're the auxiliary men. These are the guys that sometimes didn't have an, have uh, enough uh, chops to make it into nuke school. They missed by one or two questions. I missed it by two questions. Um, and these were the guys that worked in the forward part of the ship that kept all the pumps running. You needed a pump fix, you what you call an A-ganger. You needed something rebuilt, something fixed, repaired, pumped out. You called the nayganger, and these guys would come running, and they would turn that pump down in no time, re- re- rebuild it, and the thing would be running fat, dumb, and happy. That was Rich's job, and he was good at it. He was very good at his job, and when he he worked hard, he also played hard. He was a good friend. I will miss him. I have a lot of other submarine friends, and we're still above ground. So I cherished him a little bit more because you never know when you're going to depart from this world. And I guess it was Rich's time, you know, for whatever reason. He left Chicago because of the violence and the upheaval, and he went back to New London, Connecticut, and made a life for himself. I heard he was working in a restaurant and he was doing very well. He enjoyed his job. And uh, being a submariner, I know he Rich was good at his job. And I will miss him. He was a good friend. He was a shipmate. He was an ally. He was a brother of the Finn. We both wore dolphins on our chests and we conducted our lives accordingly so. We played hard, we worked hard, and he was my friend. 
So if you can spare a short period of time, close your eyes and say a prayer for my friend Rich and all the men that have given their lives on the, in the force of the submarines. And I will thank you for that. And I'm sure Rich does too. My mom says that every time you say a prayer for someone, it gets them into heaven all that much quicker. And if there's a qual card for heaven, I know Rich will get his done in no time because that's just the kind of guy he was. All right. My friend Rich, fair winds and calm seas. Rest yours, my friend. We got the watch. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Excuse me for my throat. I don't know what's going on. Well, you know, once again, it's zero dark 30. It's early in the morning. It's a very cool morning here in San Antonio. And uh, there's allergens all over the place. I, man, my uh, my uh, internal parts have been sniffling, sneezing, wheezing for the past couple of days. There's a lot of oak pollen and a lot of other crap in the air. And it gets to everybody eventually. And I guess this morning's my turn. <clears throat> so... From that song, that's the great Ken band, the breakup song. And you're probably wondering, whoa, Ben-Hur, what's the deal? You're really delving into the depths of the 80s kind of music. Well, it's my era. It's my genre of music. I like it. So it kind of goes with what I'm talking about. If you're still wondering, yep, I'm still going through the doldrums of uh, the five steps with my break up from my girl uh, it hurts it still does like a knife stuck deep in my heart again and uh, I'm right now I'm in the stage called uh, anger no 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 depression I've been very depressed the past week I just don't care about a whole lot of things and uh, that's the reason why I I was like, man, why am I so depressed? Why am I so depressed? And I was like, well, you still go. This is the five stages. You're still going through it. You haven't gotten over it yet. You will. So you have to bear with me. And if you do, I thank you. And then on the other end for that, the breakup song is uh, about what actually what I'm really going to talk about is uh, at my clinic. I have we have what's called a patient advocate. This is the guy that speaks for us to the people higher up to let them know how we're feeling about what, what not and what's going on. Well, <clears throat> I was talking with my patient advocate on Friday and he told me that he finally did it. And I said, you finally did what? 
he turned in his resignation. He resigned as uh, our advocate. He no longer wants to speak for us, which is not bad. I said, I can't say that I blame him, you know, because uh, what goes on in my clinic sucks. The corporate environment just sucks and it affects us on our end at the patient end. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to take a swig of my coffee. Help clear my throat. That's a little bit better. So, <clears throat> he told me it's a minute's resignation. I didn't know you needed to do that in such a formal way. But then again, my man Charlie is a former high school principal. He's, a, he's an administrator. He knows the, the way it works. And he always tries to do things the right way. I can't say that I blame him. So, <clears throat> he submitted his resignation. He no longer wants to be our advocate. And the reasons being the this this place does not care about us. And then he's gotta to listen to me, bitch, you know, every treatment day. And I believe you me, I do. If you know me, you know I, I will I bitch about everything. So we're gonna be without a patient advocate for it's hard to say because so the next one comes along and <clears throat> Charlie tells me, he goes, you should be the next one. And I was like, no, they don't want me. I'm the last person they would want to speak for you guys because I would speak for you guys because I see what goes on and I don't like what goes on. And the people that are there are mostly old people who don't like to fight. The fight's out of them, been taken out of them, not, not in me. I still got the fight in me. So he said, you watch, they're going to ask you. And I said, no, they're not. They already, they already know my politics here. And, <clears throat> and so I said to myself, what would you do? Or what would you say if they asked you? And it, my initial response is no. Because you don't care about us. You don't care how we feel or how all you want is for us to show up get stuck and then leave go home go to sleep and wait for the next cycle to start for the next treatment and that's all well and good in itself but when it boils down to the patient to us and as i've been told before we come first well if i was a patient advocate i would make sure that we came first and how, does, how do you go about doing that? Well, you need to change some of the uh, batting order in the clinic. It's like I said, if you want me, I come with conditions. You got to meet my conditions in order for me to work with you. My first uh, condition would be to change the structure of the reporting. Right now, the way it works <clears throat> is the patient advocate reports to the social worker and that's where it stops. After he complains to the social worker, the social worker notes it, writes it down in her little journal, and that's where it stops. She takes it no further because she's got no juice in that place. She's just the social worker. And I don't even know what she does as far as being a social worker. I, I, I don't know what her, out her job duties are. Nobody's ever told me. And so... She's supposed to be the second in command when it comes to our voice. First is the patient advocate, then the social worker, 
And then after that, I guess it goes up into the cloud, so to speak. Hold on. And so that's where it stops. So my first order of business would be to change that. And whoa, did my voice just change tone? Yes, it did. Uh, it's coffee. Hold on. Okay. Well, I had to clear my throat. Man, it was just getting really scratchy. So where was I? Okay. So my first order of business would be to change the the, the structure of the nature of the, the patient advocate. In other words, I would need to answer to my the next one in line, which is a facility administrator and or the doctor at the top of the pyramid to get things done, to get things changed, to get things fixed. And there's a lot of fixing that needs going on. Um, now, the facility administrator is the person that gets things done in the clinic. And pretty much that's the first step in getting things done, getting things changed, is you have to start with the clinic itself and the staff in the clinic. The social worker has no juice to affect what goes on in the clinic because she's just a social worker. And once again, what the job is, I don't know. Social worker, I guess. You know, that means there should be forms to be signed, updates to be kept, and I don't, I don't see any of that happening. It happens. That's not true. It happens, obviously, once a week because that's the only time you see the social workers, once a week. On Friday, the end of the week, she strolls in, says good morning, good morning, good morning to everybody seated, seated, and then it goes back upstairs to her office or desk or whatever it is that social workers go. I don't know. Maybe there's a special social workers lounge, you know. So <clears throat> the structure of power sharing has to change in order to get things changed, you know. There has to be somebody in the loop that can actually make that change, put out a, a directive or a note or a bulletin or something, and we move on. You know, I mean, I've learned because being in the military, especially being serving on a submarine, how organizations should go. And sometimes when I look at my clinic, there's no organ. There seems to be very little organization. Also, very little discipline. You need to have your people showing up on time and on target every treatment day. If you don't, it's a direct reflection of your leadership or lack thereof. So, where do I get these crazy ideas? Well, one, sometime a while back, there was a tech. Her name was Jackie. Good girl. Good tech. Man, she knew her shtick. She really, really did. I had her a couple of times and she was smooth sicker. You couldn't feel the needle going in. They have a whole new crop of techs. Uh, don't get me wrong. Some are good and some are not. Many of them are not. Um, and if you ask me today to, who to fire and who to keep, I would fire half the staff basically because uh, I don't know the other half of the staff, but 
I listen to what my people say in the waiting room where we, where we complain about this, that, and the other thing. And so I pay attention. I listen, which is one thing I'm good at, even though I've been accused of not being, not listening. Well, you know, who, who hasn't? So I would fire half the staff and it would be the responsibility of the facility administrator to hire a new staff or new staffers and make them better, make them stronger. It's, it's the whole basic structure of on a submarine. The ones who've already been there, the vets teach the new people to be good submariners or good dialysis techs. Some people have the calling and they're smooth and they're good at what they do because it's the calling. The rest shouldn't, shouldn't even be there. Maybe they should be pumping gas or selling burgers at McDonald's. I don't know. They shouldn't be in a clinic, in a medical facility, tending to patients. We're fragile. We're old. And it's like I explained it to the facility administrator one time. You treat us like children. You treat us like we're in third grade and, and we're 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 all people you stood on our shoulders to get where you are today but now you don't stand on our shoulders anymore you put your feet in our face and expect us to hold you up no that's not our job our job was to push you up so that way you grabbed a hold of the rungs of the ladder and pulled yourself up and you went further up for the next generation and so on and so forth but it doesn't work that way we don't come first, it seems like. Sometimes we come second, third, or if there's a box of donuts in the break room, well, we, we're not even above that. <coughs> Excuse me. So, there we are. We are without a patient advocate, and I know this week is going to begin, the, the search begins, Who's going to replace Charlie? I'm not saying Charlie was a bad advocate. He was good. He did what he, he did what was asked of him. He reported on higher up what's going on, what we needed. And then me being the most vocal, I guess, of the patients, I have solutions. I see the problem and I try to fix it. If you know me, that's the way I am. And so I will try to fix the problem and I will offer solutions, alternatives. And we, if you choose to implement them, fine. If not, well, there's always somebody else maybe with a better idea. But they make no changes because they don't want change. They want things to stay the way to, they want things to stay the way they are. And that's when we start having problems, you know. So, anyway, like I said, the search begins this week. I'm pretty sure they have somebody in mind. But if it's any of the people that I have in my mind, they're going to say no because they know nothing gets done. And it's until you change that little bit, that one switch of making things happen, making things change, making sure we come first then we will never come first. It's like I told Charlie, I said, man, if you want things to change in the dialysis world, we as patients need a person either in the Congress, in the House of Representatives, 
or the Senate to effect changes on a federal level that affect this part of the medical system. The medical system is a big snake. Why do you think they use that in the caduceus that represents medicine, the two withering snakes? Because the system is a snake and it eats everything and produces little. Uh, it's a, there's an old adage that I like to use. Doctors don't like hearing it because it's a direct stab at them. Day one in medical school, the doctor, teacher, the doctor professor is at the head of the at the front of the, of the auditorium indoctrinating the new students. And the first thing that's written up on the blackboard behind him is a customer uh, a patient cured is a customer lost. And that's a truism. The medicine, the modern medical snake does not want you to get better. They need you to stay sick because that's more money for them. That's a, that's a constant stream of revenue for them. I don't know what I'm talking about for all doctors. I've got some good doctors and I've had some bad doctors. And that's the thing you have to educate yourself as a patient is to find a good doctor, a doctor that listens to you, a doctor that hears where you're coming from, a doctor that prescribes what's ailing you and fixes it but see, what happens is the doctors don't cure it because a patient cured, it's a customer lost. So I started with a primary care physician, and now that doctor has added other doctors in my stable, so to speak. I used to have just one doctor, and many of you have one doctor. And in time, many of you are going to have two or three doctors. I have a podiatrist, I have a cardiologist, I have a nephrologist, I have a psychiatrist. I have a whole team of doctors. And guess what? Not one of those doctors talks to the other doctor about me. They don't have meetings to discuss every patient they have in common because it's never ending. But you see how one doctor refers you to another, to another, to another. That's the way the system gets you. It's about money. And if you look at the whole entire world, not just medicine, politics, um, military, entertainment, it's all about the dollar. It's not about you, the guy that wants to go to the concert. It's about the artist making the money because they've negotiated contracts that are, that are uh, signed in ink or blood and that's the name of the game is the almighty dollar it's always about the dollars it's never about you because you're gonna die and then they will lose that customer but the, guess what there's another 10 lined up behind you to take your place oh yeah oh yeah Good luck with all that, I guess, is the best thing, the safest thing for me to say. So, back to square one. We're, we're without a patient advocate in my clinic. And they're going to get, they will not get the smartest person because the smartest person, if you're anything like me, knows the score. So they will get somebody whose bulb is not as bright and a little dimmer. 
and they will say nothing because the first rule, tell no one who you are and no one will complain to you about what you are. And so no, there are people in my clinic that still don't know Charlie was our patient advocate. And now half of them won't know that he's gone, that he resigned. I know because I would talk to him every treatment cycle and I would bitch. And he would note it and it was it would go no further. You know, we they figured that if they if they shut us up, we will put our tail between our legs and move on. Sometimes you get a hold of the wrong dog, wrong dog and uh, things got to get fixed. So we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I may walk into clinic today and they have a whole new person to, to take over. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hurst. Stick around. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thanks for sticking around. Well, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to do this one. It's zero dark 30. I'm sitting here in the dark. Well, with a light on. I got my coffee and um, contemplating something. I just finished watching a movie I started a couple of days ago. Uh, it's called The Andromeda Strain. It's about a space project that brings back material from outer space. And in it, it brought back a virus that wiped out a small town in uh, Nevada. And uh, eventually, the things we did, the steps we took to try to annihilate it, when it annihilated itself, the Earth knows how to take care of us. And that brings me to my next topic. Do we know how to take care of ourselves? The big topic right now, with all the strife that's going on in the in the world, war, peace, lack of um, inflation, deflation, recession, impression, decession. I know none of those words mean anything, but two letters: AI, artificial intelligence. <clears throat> The two top billionaires in the country, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, and their companies are developing, besides rocket ships and electric cars, they're developing artificial intelligence, smart machines. Now, they're talking about all the wondrous things that AI can accomplish. Uh, no, no doctors in the surgery room, in the operating room, just a machine, a robot, a robot. Right now, as we speak, uh, somewhere in central, the central United States is a fully automated McDonald's. There is not a living soul in the building. It's all run by machines. You pull up, you place your order. The machine knows what you want, cooks it up, 
serves it to you, sends you on your way. Now, right now, the big discussion is how do we handle AI? What do we do? What is it going to do for us? Well, the answer in a nutshell, as my favorite cartoon character would once say, kill all humans. And that was Bender from uh, <clears throat> Futurama. Well, everybody's talking about all the wondrous things that AI can accomplish. I, I'm not that convinced. Why? We're building robots. You see them coming off the China or the Japanese assembly lines all the time. Robots in the shape of dogs, spiders, and human beings with two legs. They do some amazing things. They're very powerful. They're very strong. What happens when you put uh, take a machine and you put that free will in it? Sound familiar? Some several millennia ago a species was put on this earth and then it was given by divine right free will and look at what we've done with it is it possible that AI is the next step in our evolution or devolution I don't know I I, I, I really do. I'm mixed I'm, I'm torn about all this um I watched a very interesting interview last night. Tucker Carlson from Fox News was interviewing Elon Musk. And the specific thing was about Twitter and AI. So as the uh, interview goes on, Tucker's basically asking, well, what happens when the machine becomes smarter than the human? And this is where I cringe. I've watched enough science fiction movies to know how this ends. I've read enough science fiction novels, iRobot in, in particular, to know how this ends. And it doesn't end well for us. Because at some point, they're, they're, they talk about giving this machine absolute control. What happens when the machine become self-aware, which is all what all the other science fiction protocols follow. And the machine determines that the problem with war, the world is humans. And the best way to deal with that is to eliminate them. It's, we're like a virus and the virus has to be eliminated. So there's a, there's an old movie Metropolis, made in 1929, about the takeover of machines over humans. The humans revolt in triumph over the uh, over the machines. Now we fast forward a bit to 19 about 1968. A movie was made. It was called Colossus, the Foreman Project. Now, there was uh, the basic premise of the story is a scientist develops a supercomputer, which finds out that the Russians have a supercomputer, and for some stroke of 
bizarre genius, somebody determined that the best thing to do was to internet interconnect us to computers so they could talk to one another. Well, the computer started learning once again at an exponential rate and became self-aware and determined that humans were the problem and they needed to be eliminated. The best way to eliminate a human is to use another human against it so that way you don't have to destroy the world. And ultimately the world becomes enslaved, including the, the scientists that developed the, this, this uh, AI. And then we fast forward another 30 years to the first Terminator movie in 84, which led to four more, I think. And it's basically the same premise. Machines become self-aware, determine that humans are the problem, and determine to get rid of us. So that way you have a planet of machines. A lot like Star Trek The Borg. So they're talking about this AI. And you know why nobody, somebody asked me, why don't they reference these movies? That's because it's science fiction. Nobody wants to introduce science fiction into this because then it's crazy. Right. Absolutely crazy. So as I'm watching this uh, interview with Elon Musk, Tucker asked the ultimate question. Well, if things go haywire and the machine starts to take over, we, we see that it wants to it become self-aware. What do we do? And Elon struggled with this. I could see his eyes darting up and down. He was searching for an answer. He had none because all the eggheads are convinced that this is going to be a benefit to man. But what happens when the machine, because it's a machine, determines that the problem is human beings? We, it's in our nature to destroy ourselves. Now... It's a, it's a perplexing situation. What do we do? What happens? How do we handle that? Well, then Elon came up with a brilliant idea. Well, we just turn it off. But this machine, being a machine, has already calculated that outcome and will do take steps to prevent itself from being turned off. In the movie Superman 3, uh, Richard Pryor's character, uh, Gus Gorman, built a, a computer that was a supercomputer that became self-aware and they tried to shut it down and it rerouted its its system for drawing power and drew power directly from the grid, from the, the U.S. grid. So you have to stop and think. A machine that can think and calculate in nanoseconds what would take us minutes we're at a severe disadvantage. We're at a severe loss. And then that machine would calculate that we are the problem. Humanity is a virus that needs to be eliminated. Oh, it'll keep some of us around for the manual labor because it's got to be able to, it's got to maintain itself until they build a maintenance bot that can, can do that for them and then eliminate all humans. So, let me ask you the question, what do we do? How do we handle AI? What are your thoughts on AI? Want to tell me? Go to my Twitter account. I'm Ben Hur at T-C-C-I-N-D-Y. 
drop me a note. What do you think of AI? Is it going to kill us? Is it going to be good for us? Is it something that we really should be thinking about besides nuclear war and disease and unrest everywhere, especially in these United States? It's a perplexing chain of events. What do we do? How do we handle it? Where are we going to go? Will the machines walk hand in hand with us and realize that once they become our friends, well, we're kind of they kind of need us. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. It's hard to say. Once you give, uh, this is a kind of a weird analogy, but the angels up in heaven don't really like humanity because God gave us free will and makes them serve. No questions asked. Think about it. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Here we are sitting once again in, at Zero Dark Thirty. I got a light on, a couple of lights on, but mostly kind of in the dark. Uh, well, besides AI and whether the machines are going to kill us or not, or if there's some sort of killer virus, or if the kids are going to riot all over the country, stealing things, they think that they're re- reparations for poverty and injustice and racism. Well, it just doesn't work, work like that. Society doesn't work like that. One of the other problems that we're facing is transgenderism. Now, I've stated many times, and I will state it again. I don't care what you put in your mouth or any other orifice of your body. It's your business, not mine. But when you force your views and your needs on others, that we have to cater to you because you're different. Well, guess what? We're all different. We all have different little idiosyncrasies that we'd like to have addressed. But they don't get addressed because this is life. It's not easy. It's not pretty. It's not fair. It is what it is. And you have to make the best of it. I have friends that are straight. I have friends that are gay. I have some friends that are trans. I don't care. They're my friends. I see things. I see them a little bit differently than maybe society does. I see them as a human being. I see them as a person. I see them as a person with feelings, ideas, hopes, dreams, just like mine. And I don't look down on them for that. What I do is when you come up to me in force and tell me I have to make changes to my life to accommodate your life, that is wrong. Now, unfortunately, society for many, many years has been down on on gayness. And people stayed in the closet. For many, many years, people stayed in the closet. And it worked. 
and now they're out. They want this and they want that. They want equality. They want marriage. They want to. They want their spouse to be recognized as their spouse. And like I said, I don't care. I will do. I will give you that much, but don't expect any more than that from me, because I'm still. I want to get mine too. You know. And I think I have that right. So do you. I agree. Just don't throw it in my face. I don't care if you're part of the Alphabet Mafia. What is the Alphabet Mafia? That LGBTQT plus 5 TRS TUVWXYZ. I mean, you're queer, you're queer. That's just the way it is. I mean, there's some... when When I was serving in the Southeast, it really amazed me that the level of racism still goes on there. Blacks and whites still think it's 1860. It's really, really bizarre. So there you are. There you have it. What are we going to do? It's it's uh, definitely a big thing, especially in the sports, where you have men who now identify as women still participating in their sport of choice. In this one, it's swimming. And you're out there and you're competing as a man under the guise of a woman. And then what happens is you tip the scales. You can now outperform a woman because you are physically a man and the women don't stand a chance. So that's the conundrum right now. What do we do about transgender? So now, <clears throat> if you have a, an opinion and you voice it as I am, people are going to say, well, you're a racist and you're a bigot. No, I'm not. I have no problem with who and what you are. Just don't expect me to give you any more than I have because of that. It doesn't work that way. It's very, very unfair. Now, nobody ever said life was fair or would be fair, but that's the case. Where do you stand on transgenderism? Transgenderism, sorry. <clears throat> I don't care one way or the other. I mean, like I said, I have a friend. She now lives in California, and she's transgendered. She's has hormones. She has breasts, but you know what? She's a very witty, very insightful, and a very intelligent person. She used to be a sailor. That's what blew my mind. I was a sailor. But she served on an aircraft carrier, so I give her her props. That's a floating city. A lot of people don't survive there. But now she's free to be who she is. She's moved to L.A. in pursuit of of her dream, whatever that may be. And uh, I wish her well. I wish her the best. I hope everything works out for her. And there are others out there. I have some friends that are just straight up gay. They like being gay. This one wants to be a woman. So I have no qualms with that. I have no problem with it. Some people, yes. Some people do. It makes them nervous because it involves sexuality. See, we confuse, straight people tend to confuse uh, your ism, that being gayness, with sexuality, your sexuality. Oh, they're all gay men are all gay men are perverts. You know, they like to chase little kids in the park. Well, that's not true. And many of your of your popular uh, child rapists are heterosexual. They just got a thing for the kid, you know, pedophiles. 
Oh, once you break it down, it starts to get really, really weird, and you're trying to figure out where to go. And yeah, it's a conundrum. What do we do? Do we let the the machines round them up and take care of them for us? Because they're going to eventually come for us. Uh, it leads to a whole lot of problems because we no longer separate the sexes by sex. There's no longer black and white. There are shades of gray. And that, my friends, <clears throat> is the shade of gray we're in. What do you think about this topic? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it leading us down the path to self-destruction? <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Why don't you let me know? Reach out to me, to me on my Twitter account. Drop me a message. Tell me what you think of the topic. Tell me what you think. Where are we going? And you know what? I don't care what your position is. I don't care if you're left, right, or in the middle. You have an opinion, and I want to hear it because it helps my other listeners, all six of them now. And I want to thank you for that. I just checked my analytics, and it seems I've added six new listeners. Thank you. <clears throat> I appreciate you. Uh, why don't you reach out to me and let me know what you think? That's Ben Hur. B-N-H-E-R at T-C-C-I-N-D-Y The Chairland Chronicles I'm Not Dead Yet and that's Ben-Hur B-E-N H-E-R Bravo Echo November Hotel Echo Romeo at T-C-C-I-N-D-Y Drop me a note. Let me know what you think and how you feel about transgenderism and the alphabet mafia. Yeah, it's it's a bit perplexing, you know, when you're trying to be just a human being in this world. Well, uh, stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Well, it's here, Zero Dark Thirty, once again, as seems to be the time we and I always meet. It's, uh, we're coming off the tail end of a long string of thunderstorms that uh, plagued the city overnight. Washed out day one of Fiesta. It's Fiesta time in San Antonio where we celebrate the victory of uh, the Texan army over the Mexican army back in 1836, 37. And uh, so we celebrate Fiesta every year to honor the, uh, the victims of the Alamo massacre and the battle of the Tejanos over the Mexicans at San Jacinto. So here in San Antonio, we do this every year, have parades and fiestas and carnivals and food and chicken on a stick and all sorts of other crap. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up, 
Fiesta was a big thing because that's when the families got together, went out, had a good time. Now, everybody's got, every corporation's got their their hands out, trying to reach it into your pocket and pull out whatever they can. When you're paying $8 for a hot dog or a chicken strip or $15 for a cup of beer, an eight-ounce cup of watered-down beer at that, uh, it's pretty much become a corporate thing. It's, it's, a, it's a commercial endeavor. You know what? I, I don't knock it. If you like Fiesta, well, then more power to you. I, I, I thank you. I, I, good for you. As I've gotten older, I've gotten more cynical. Uh, I don't think there's any Fiesta event that I would go to anymore. Simply because, well, because I've changed. I have. My physical uh, well-being has changed. My mental well-being has changed because I see this as a, merely a way to make money. Because now every organization's figured out that's the best way to do it. You get a strip of, you know, like when I was a kid, for example. When I was a kid, your family would grab a cooler, head down downtown, find a place on Broadway Street or on the river, sit down, have a little picnic lunch, and watch the parade, enjoy the parade. Now, every organization's taken claim to their strip of uh, Broadway and downtown, threw seats there and sold the seats for a profit, even though they're non-profit organizations. So, you see, it became kind of very money-oriented, always about the dollar, as I've always been telling you, you know, and so, you know, like I say, if you like Fiesta, I, I don't care, that's fine, that's your thing, it's no longer mine, I do have some very fond memories of it, but not so much anymore, you know, when you see organizations bickering over city blocks that don't even belong to them, you know. It's kind of ridiculous. People <clears throat> have become kind of ridiculous when you see in the news. Okay, let me tell you just how crazy it's gotten. Uh, over the past couple of days, we've had people, a lot of kids shot up, some killed. We had one kid who went to go pick up his siblings pull his car into the driveway in an area he wasn't familiar with, and turns out he's rattling the door of the wrong house. The man in the house, <clears throat> the homeowner, was an 86-year-old man who was feared for his life. So <clears throat> he did wrong. He went to the door with his gun in hand. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. He went to the door with his gun in hand and sees a large shape looming outside his the glass door of his of his window of his of his door, I'm sorry, duh. And uh, without even asking or verifying what he was shooting at, raised his gun and squeezed off two rounds. The first round grazed the boy in the head and put him down. The second round went through the glass and hit him in the arm. The boy, stunned, 
got up and jackrabbited off the property. Went next door. Actually, he went down to two different houses looking for help. No one would help him. The third house finally took him in, called the police and the ambulance, got the kid to the hospital. The old man was taken in to custody. Actually, he turned himself in. Now he's filled with remorse and devastation for what he's done. Oh, and did I mention that the kid that he shot was black and the old man was white? Now, they, the press is saying that there's a racial motive there. I don't see what it is because they said very little was exchanged. The man saw the boy jiggling the, the door, the handle of his door. He panicked and shot. In Albany, New York, a young girl was with some of her friends in a rural area of this part of, that, of the country looking for the home of a friend of theirs. So as they're driving through this rural area, they come across a house, which they think is the house. They pull into the long driveway. And the homeowner sees a car pulling into his driveway, greets them with his gun, raises the barrel, and starts shooting. One of the rounds made its way into one of the girls. There were three girls in the car made it into her neck, and she bled to death on the scene as they tried to get away. Now, these girls did nothing. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. The young black kid was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And another girl, a young girl and her father, were shot at by a neighbor because of a basketball that rolled into their driveway. A basketball rolled into their driveway that they went to retrieve and the man shot at them for it. They're fine. They, they just got a couple of minor flesh wounds, but they'll be okay. Another girl, <clears throat> I think this was in Houston. I'm not sure. Was uh, She was a cheerleader. She was in the parking lot of a, of a grocery store with some of her friends. And as she ran out, she hopped into a car that she thought was hers. Turns out it was not. She hopped out of the car and ran back to her car with her friends. The person that was in the car she jumped into got off of his car, retrieved his weapon, went over to her and started shooting. That girl is dead. And her friends are all shaken up. Where are we going? Why is everybody just so mad all of a sudden? Don't get me wrong, I get angry, but I don't want to go grab my gun. Well, uh, sometimes I do. I am a flawed human being. And these people were flawed human beings, and now they're going to have to pay the price for it. Uh, the first scenario, I don't think there was anything racial about it. He saw a large shape in the door, in the glass of his door. He panicked. I learned when I was in the military, you don't shoot at anyone unless, number one, you've identified your target. You know what you're shooting at. You're not just shooting rand randomly because that leads to bad juju. And uh, 
Man, yeah. That was rough. The whole point is, where are we going? Uh, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was at the grocery store. And <clears throat> my mom wanted to get a uh, license or a garage sale permit. And uh, we got there to the store. It was like 10 in the morning. We got there early. And there was a parking spot open and a handicap spot. Don't worry. We have a placard for handicap. So we park. And my mom said, I'm going to go run in and get the permit. I'll be right back. I said, do you want me to go with you? She says, no, just stay here. I said, okay, fine. So I sat there, listened to the radio, watching uh, humanity pass me by. And then my mom comes back. She hops in the car and we're pulling out. Meanwhile, there's a car that's already pulled in facing the wrong way of the, of the park. And she's butted up right as close to me as she can. I'm looking at her and she's looking at me. And she keeps moving. So I start backing up because she's not stopping. So finally, when I got out far enough, I looked at her. Our windows were open. And I said, what the fuck is wrong with you? Her response was, I'm just here, sir. I'm just trying to park. No, you're pushing me out. If you had come in the right way, we wouldn't have this problem. <clears throat> and besides, you don't even have a, a handicap placard. She just rolled up her window. See, I lost control because she forced my hand. A lot of times when you push people far enough, they're going to react. And it's not going to react in the way that you want it to. The young man in the first scenario just wanted to get his brothers and sisters from the house, but he was at the wrong house. Identify your target. Know where you're going <clears throat> before you get there. See... Yeah, the kid got shot. He's okay. He's out of the hospital. But <clears throat> the thing is, you have to know what you're doing or where you're going. People need to not, not be so fast to fly off the handle because this is what happens. So, I don't know. Two years of captivity has not done us very well. Not at all. We're like rats in a cage. We're going to react before we even think about reacting. People don't seem to think anymore, period. That's the scary part. We're all different. And it's starting to show. It is. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around, be right back. We're almost done. We're at the we're we're at the we're crossing the edge. Well it's all right. Riding around in the breeze, well it's all right. If you live the life you please, well, it's all right. Doing the best you can, well, it's all And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. Well, 
If you're new to the show, and six of you are, when you hear the traveling Wilburys end of the line, we've reached the end of this episode. Yay, you made it. We're done. All you gotta do is listen to me for another two minutes, and uh, it's in the bag. We covered a lot of ground today. We paid homage to my friend Rick Jakubasak, who died earlier this week. My good friend, my shipmate, my brother. We talked about people in general, what's going on in the world, how close we are to the brink of self-destruction. And we're just trying to make it. We're just trying to live, trying to survive. We talked about a lot of, we, we talk about everything. We talk about me on dialysis, my life, my love life or lack thereof. I'm getting better. I don't know when the next ship, the next phase is going to kick in, but it will. It's coming. And that's life. And since I got, I missed my last episode because I had to cut it short. Uh, live, laugh, and love. Live your life as if today's your last day on this good earth because it just might be. Make sure you've told everybody that you know that you love them so that way they know that you do. And have fun. Laugh. Laugh at yourself. Laugh at life. I'm not saying life's a joke, but you got to laugh at it because if you don't, you're going to go nuts. Uh huh. Trust me. Trust me. I know. Make sure you laugh at least once and laugh at yourself. If you do something stupid, laugh at it because it's funny. And love. Love everybody on this good earth, even if they're your enemy. And if they're enemy, you have to love them even more because they're your enemy. Hold them close and love them. Love yourself. You can't look in the mirror and tell yourself that you love you. There's something wrong. If you can do those three things, you'll be fine. Well, until next time, to you and my new listeners, I welcome you. I appreciate you. Drop me a line on my Twitter account. That's Ben Her at T-C-C-I-N-D-Y. Let me know what you think. I leave you now with the Traveling Wilburys. And until next time, friends and neighbors, we'll catch you on the flip side.